Okay, guys. Um, like, uh, uh, I felt a few days ago, God saying, can you begin to um, go to bits and pieces from the Song of Songs and teach from that? And I don't think he was thinking of Valentine's Day, but it just so happens that it kind of coincides, but at least I didn't have it in mind. So this isn't one of those pastoral Valentine Day messages. Got no such intention or desire. Um, if you want a title for this teaching, it is Between His Shoulders. Between His Shoulders. That's the title for this teaching. And so, guys, one of the things I've realized is um, before the world um, gets caught up in this revival, I need a revival. Before the world gets caught up in revival, I, Jacob, need a revival. Um, thing with revival is that revival destroys orphanhood, revival destroys legalism, revival destroys everything that is transactional. I need a revival. I've been pleading for one. I've been for hours asking God, Father, revive me first. I need a revival before this thing can sweep the earth. I need one. Because a revival destroys orphanhood. It destroys orphanhood. Every, every part of me that still responds like an orphan in situations, every part of me that does, is not childlike, every part of me that is not so easily dependent on the parent has to go. Every part of me that um, even reeks of legalism. Legalism is um, when I, I feel that uh, if I don't do these things, this might happen. And if I do these things, there's a chance that it will work out well. It's this place we are caught in where it seems with God that if you don't get it right, it could affect us adversely. And if we get it right, perhaps God will do something for us. And there are different variations of it. It's almost like the COVID variant. There are different variants of it, but that sense is always present eh? in all our lives to some extent. And it's a form of legalism. Revival dismantles or destroys orphanhood, destroys legalism, and it destroys everything transactional. There'll be nothing transactional left. I've been praying with somebody over the last seven days one of the things I found very refreshing about their prayer is that their prayer was so relational. It wasn't heavy, it was childlike, and the person's older than me. But uh, it, there was a childlikeness that I used to have. When I first became a believer, one of the things that people found attractive about my life was that, uh, Jacob, you have such childlikeness in your faith, in your approach to God. And I was listening to this person pray, and I suddenly realized that, man, I've gotten so heavy with my prayers. I want everything to return to relationality in my life and in your life. Maybe you're in a better place than me, but we still have miles we can travel, eh? What does a revival revive? If this is what it destroys, a revival revives. A revival revives relationship, 
a revival revives relationship, as in relationship with the Father. A revival revives joy. And a revival revives subjective, as in it's not some kind of objective, abstract thing. Subjective, experiential. Subjective, experiential dwelling in the Father's love. Dwelling in the Father's love. In the Father's love. And I want this for myself. And I want this for you desperately. Yeah? A revival revives relationship. Everything becomes relational again. Nothing is transactional. Nothing is... When I, and we'll talk about this tomorrow, but basically the idea of things being transactional is how come if I did this for you, you didn't do this for me? There's an expectation in transactions. There's an expectation in transactions. And I don't, want, I don't want that expectation anymore, guys. I want to have an expectation of the nature of God, but I don't want to be transactional. One of the questions I've been asking, and I ask you right now, is that it ain't enough that God is love. The question that has to be asked is, are you drowning in it? It ain't enough that God is love. The question that needs to be asked is, Jacob, are you drowning in it, or are you wading through it ankle or knee deep? An ankle or knee deep at this stage in my life and in this season of revival isn't enough. I beg you, both here and at home, pay attention. Because if God wants us to listen to his cry from the Song of Songs, then perhaps it's because he wants to do a massive surgical change in my life and yours. It ain't enough that God is love. The question one has to ask is, are you drowning in his love? Are you drowning in his love? Or are you wading through it or uh, ankle deep in it? So let's just pray for that. Eh? Father, since you are behind these teachings, uh, you have intent. And if you have intent, then you have both the process and the solution and the end. And so I definitely submit to your intent, to your process, and to the end. I, I submit myself, I have control over that, Father. But I also bring everybody else at Acts 29, anyone else who's listening. How we want this in our lives. It is not enough that you are love. It, it must be that I'm drowning in it. I'm just surrounded by it. I, I find myself just submerged in it I, I, I don't want to wade in your love I don't want to be ankle deep or knee deep in your love I want to be so surrounded by it that everything about me is relational everything about me is so exhilaratingly joyful everything about me is so um, experientially uh, <laughs> embedded in your love oh God that, that, I, that, that I'm so sure of you that circumstances don't affect my certainty of who you are. 
I want this for all of us, Father. I don't want to take away from anything else that you provide. I don't want to exchange anything for anything. I don't want to say, oh, God's love is enough. I don't want anything else out of what he's done for me. No, 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 no. That's, that, 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 that's, that's, that's lowering who you are. But I want to be so consumed. And I want us to be so consumed with the love of the Father and so dwelling in the depths of the love of the Father that everything else is just so naturally flowing over us. Father, I seek this for us. Guys, it's my daily destiny or my portion to have the love of God poured out on me by the Holy Spirit. It's my daily destiny or my portion. Like, just like manna was given to the believers, so it is my daily destiny and my portion to have the love of God poured out on me by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 talks about that. Romans 5 5 says that the Holy Spirit pours his love into my heart. And so th- this, 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 this is a daily portion or a destiny that I must, I must reach out for. Like Betty often sin, sin, sings, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. And this is a daily thing with God, eh? I just want us to, encu- I just want to encourage us to, before anything else, seek his affection, his intimacy, and his love every morning. It's a destiny appointed to us, it's a portion appointed to us. It is poured out on us by the Holy Spirit every morning. But if it isn't sought, if it isn't uh, run after, then even though it is there, it is not, uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't take it, we don't eat it, we don't get it. In the Song of Songs, there's this great shepherd king who falls in love with a common peasant woman. In the Song of Songs, there's this great shepherd king who falls in love with a common peasant woman and she's uncomfortable under his gaze. She feels unworthy. In Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 6, she even protests, saying, Don't gaze at me because I'm so dark. I worked with my brothers in the fields. My complexion is not right. My hands are rough. My face is dark. And the shepherd king responds in uh, chapter 1, verse 15. And she's just called herself dark, and he says to her, My fair one, you are beautiful. And it just swings her around, eh? That's the first encounter. Someone wrote a book called um, He Calls You Beautiful. And sometimes for a guy that might be hard to hear and revel in, oh my God, man, if you actually sense the words where he calls you, be you guy or girl, he calls you beautiful. You find yourself unworthy under his gaze for different reasons. In her case, it was that I'm just a peasant woman. I worked with my brothers. I've lived a rough life. I'm dark. Don't look at me. And his immediate response, and he's sincere, when he says, but you are my fair one, and you are beautiful. He calls you beautiful. It is important that I hear what he says to me in the morning. Hear his voice, and you will hear his heart. 
Hear his voice and you will hear his heart. Hear his voice and you will hear his heart. Hear his voice and you will hear his heart. Please hear his voice over these next few days. It is impossible to be revived without hearing the word of the voice of God. His voice carries his word, eh? No revival happens without his voice being heard. It's always his voice that revives. What revived the bones in the valley? What changes graves into a garden? The voice. It's hard to practice. But the reason you need to practice it every morning is because his compassions are new every morning. Let his words frame your day. Let his words frame your day. Get a head, head start on the rest of the world. Get a head start on the rest of the world. It's hard to practice. It's not easy. But if the main thing is not the main thing, then other things crowd the main thing out. And then you're playing catch up eh, throughout the day. Hear his voice and you'll hear his heart and you'll let his words frame your day. What are we talking about? We are talking about being drawn by the Father into the depths of his love so that you walk, regardless of the kind of day you're having, with the certainty of his goodness and his fatherhood. That's what we are talking about. We are talking about him saying Things that change the complexion of your day. Ugly becomes beautiful. He's done this throughout history. Eh? In Genesis 3, you hear him crying out. One of the most painful words, I think, uh, one of the most painful words God has uttered is, Adam, where are you? Adam, Adam, where are you? He's walking through the garden. Sin has just entered. Mankind is ruined. Restoration now has to be put into place. Adam, Adam, where are you? You hear him saying just one word in another garden where they had buried him. All he says is Mary and it changes this woman's thoughts. Eh? She had come there and she doesn't even realize that it is Jesus. You see him a little later on the beach and it's words that restore Peter. Boys, do you have any fish? And that is the beginning of the restoration of Peter. To the voice on the island of Patmos where John was alone and then he hears a loud voice behind him with a trumpet call. And he begins to write down the revelation of who Christ is. To changing the name of Rachel's second born son. She named him Benoni as in one who brings misfortune or one who brings pain. As she's dying, she names him Benoni and then God changes it to Benjamin, which is son of my strength or son who brings fortune. If I don't hear the voice of his love in the morning, I'll have to go with my theology, my strengths, my abilities, my faith. I'll have a whole lot of good things to go on. But my God, I need to hear the voice of my father in the morning. And I'm talking about God wanting to do this with love. For whatever reason, he thinks that the people at Acts 29, that Jacob needs to be revived. Revived into relationship, into joy that he hasn't known, into a subjective experiential dwelling in the Father's love, where he is never transactional, where there's nothing legalistic in his life, and where 
there is no orphanhood. Orphans can only beget orphans. If I don't change, you don't get anything better either. In Deuteronomy 33.12, talking about Benjamin, Deuteronomy 33.12, here's what it says. About Benjamin he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. That's kind of what I want to conclude with. Deuteronomy 33 verse 12, about Benjamin he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. The one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. You know, the Father can't disconnect me from his love because he disconnected Jesus to connect me in, and he will not spite that sacrifice. The Father cannot disconnect me from his love. I can disconnect myself from the Father's love, but the Father cannot disconnect me from his love because he actually disconnected Jesus and connected me in and he will not spite that sacrifice. It's I who can disconnect, but he won't. So the question I want to ask you is, and I ask myself this and the answer is not always, are you consciously resting between his shoulders? Are you consciously resting between his shoulders as the one that the Lord loves? Are you consciously resting between his shoulders as the one that the Lord loves? Are you consciously resting between his shoulders as the one that the Lord loves? I want to show you three pictures. And the intent of showing you these three pictures is to give you an idea of what it is to rest between his shoulders. Pardon? The first one is... Um, uh, with uh, me sitting with this girl hold uh, in my lap. Can I see it on the screen? Okay. That's resting between your shoulders, eh? There are many different ways that God has us rest between shoulders, between our shoulders, between his shoulders. There are many different ways God has us rest between his shoulders. There is this resting between his shoulders that needs to happen. Is this your permanent position? Is this your permanent position? Resting between God's shoulders like this brings you to a place where there's safety. There's absolute safety. There's nothing that can perturb you. It doesn't matter that Purolator hasn't turned up. It doesn't matter that DHL hasn't delivered. It doesn't matter that your calls are not getting through. It doesn't matter that virtual chat sucks. This is nothing that can get you to a place where you feel that anything can disturb or, um, uh, or dismantle your rest and your safety. It's this place where you're weaned from your troubles. Where you're weaned from your troubles. You are, you are satisfied. They're, you're hilariously satisfied. You're hilariously satisfied. It's not, even a, it's not even a mild satisfaction. A mild satisfaction is horrible in God. Eh? A mild satisfaction is lukewarmness. Hilariously satisfied. 
I just happened to find this picture on my phone and I thought, man, this so sums it up. To rest between his shoulders. So that's the first question. These pictures just convey what resting between his shoulders look like. And when I see these pictures, I think to myself, but Jacob, this is not how you live. Situations draw me out from between his shoulders. I start flailing. I lose my rest. I'm not hilariously satisfied. I begin to question. I have doubts. Things become transactional. I don't want that. Do you? And then if we go down this route and don't change, we spawn another generation that is the same or worse because every generation gets more potent in terms of both good and evil. If you're talking about a revival, then I say, oh God, revive me first, change me completely. I don't want half changes. So this first picture is one of safety. Eh? To be loved by God is to be, to, to, to dwell subjectively, experientially in the depth of the Father's love is to be safe, is to be weaned, is to be hilariously satisfied, is to be rest at rest, nothing perturbing you. Putting your head on the pillow and going off to sleep at the helm of the boat in the middle of the storm is what we're talking about. This is how one knows if one is being subjectively, experientially uh, embedded in the depth of the Father's love. We're not even talking about how we love Him. We're just talking about being, being rooted in the Father's love. This is how Jesus lived. This is childlikeness. Let's look at another picture. Let's look at another picture. Uh, the two that come together. This was another picture where um, uh, it's this idea of resting on, resting between God's shoulders. And here the intent is reaching higher, where resting on God's shoulders allows me as, uh, to reach further. It, 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 my, my aspirations change. I, I no longer operate from within my abilities. I, I reach further, reach higher, I'm, a, I'm enabled, and I'm learning to dream in the Father's house. I'm learning to dream in, my, in the Father's house. The one who is loved rests between his shoulders. I'm constantly reaching for beyond my grasp when I'm resting between my father's shoulders. I'm like Joseph who has no problems dreaming dreams that are far beyond me because my father's house is a type of house that allows a son to dream. It is a place where I'm enabled. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 11, it'll give you an idea. Deuteronomy 32 11. Deuteronomy 32 11. Reading from the message, it's a sense of he was like an eagle. God was like an eagle hovering over its nest, overshadowing its young, then spreading his wings, lifting them up into the air, teaching them to fly. God lifted him onto the hilltops so he could feast on the crops in the fields. It's that sense, eh? 
where you, where you have someone see, resting between your shoulders and you have this ability to reach further. This is what happens when I'm embedded in the Father's love. No longer am I conscious, no longer am I conscious of my inadequacies, even though I have them. Do you see why we need this? Because when I look at myself and I, when I look at you, I do not see this in us. But I do see this in me and in you in the coming days because of the work of the Father. Where childlikeness attempts from between the Father's shoulders, dreams that the Father puts in your head, enablement that comes because you are seated on his shoulders, reaching past what you are ever going to be able because you know your Father has the tools for it. And the third picture. And the third picture is where you are actually seated between y- your father's shoulders and it gives you a completely different perspective. Eh? It gives you a perspective that you would never have from ground level. Never have from ground level. And strangely enough, there's this playfulness about it. When one of the things that happens to Christianity when it gets intense is that it loses its playfulness. I had a friend who would always warn me. Uh, they would say to me, "Jacob, you're getting too intense. Every ocean has a shore. If you do not know how to be shallow with God, and if all that comes out of you is intensity, then you will be no good among publicans, prostitutes, fishermen, and tax collectors. There must be a shallowness and a playfulness in my relationship with God that comes sheerly out of this fact that I know how much you love me and I know how hard you work to make me look good. I'm just going to rest between your shoulders. It gives me a bird's eye perspective of everything you are doing at a place much higher than others that I would never get from ground level. So please, oh God, can I come back between your shoulders on your neck, holding on to your hair. There's a scene in one of the um, episodes of Chronicles of Narnia where um, Lucy and her sister uh, uh, go to Aslan, who has just risen from the dead, and there's the white witch and the battle going on. And at one point, Aslan walks forward a bit, and then he lowers himself down, and he says, climb on my back. Lucy opened her mouth in shock and quickly obeyed his order along with Susan. We have far to go and a little time to get there and you may want to cover your ears, says Aslan. They did as he released a roar that bounced off every nick and corner of the world and then hanging on to his mane, they dash off into battle. They dash off into battle on Aslan's back as he roars and everything shudders as he roars. They win the battle, not because of any other reason, but because they are holding on to Aslan's mane and having the ride of their life absolutely certain of the king. I pray God that these images help us 
understand both the perspective and the playfulness and the riding the wind on Aslan's coattails. I hope we get it. That was my reason for showing you these pictures because sometimes nobody can explain it the way God wants it explained. Galatians 4 verse 6 and 7 is what we sang. Galatians 4, 6b and 7a as in starting halfway down 6 and halfway into 7. It says, God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying out, Papa, Father. God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? The song that we just sang. Guys, we've got to recover this, eh? We've got to recover this. Deeply rooted, deeply embedded in the Father's love. Not something abstract, very subjective, very experiential, dwelling in his love. With these three pictures in mind, I know as grown-ups we sometimes find it hard to think uh, like these little children, but the idea is to convey what you can aspire for. The Father, from today on, I learn how to be safe in you, unafraid, my rest not disturbed. I learn how to be weaned from trouble, safe between your shoulders. I learn how to be hilariously satisfied, because you are like that. And if I am not, then it is not because you are not, it is because I haven't learned how to. The Father, I'm going to reach higher. Your shoulders are a home where I can learn to dream and I must learn to dream the dreams that you give me. I must be enabled. I must have Deuteronomy 32 verse 11 and 12 happen to me where you teach me how to fly. Oh God, I abandon myself to you so that you can show me from a perch how things are below me. Zest, light, space, life. These are things that come out of living in the Father's love. I like how one of the Psalms starts that way. It says in the message, zest, life, space, light. What a far cry from most of our Christians' lives. Zest, light, space, life. Qualities that God possesses, that our Father possesses. That we have the privilege of stepping into. That's the kind of life you're looking at. To have perspective that only we can have from resting between his shoulders that you'll never have from ground level. To have that perspective 24-7 so that even when you're sleeping, Psalm 16 goes into effect and he counseled you during the night seasons. Him positioning you so that you see what you need to see. And then saying as he lowers himself, come, climb on my back. We have to go far and little time to get there. And you may want to cover your ears. They did as he released a roar that bounced off every nick and corner of the world. As they grabbed onto his mane. And Aslan started bounding towards battle. Do you know what it is to fight perched on God's neck between his shoulders? Do you know what those battles look like? You watch. Moses did it. He understood this for a second. He was the meekest man on earth. There's something about meekness that mixes with childlikeness. And God's word to him was the same thing that Aslan says to Lucy. Stand still and see the salvation of God. 
What do you call him? Abba, Papa, Daddy in Malayalam, Apacha, Father, what do you call him? Take time right now, eh? Just to repeat again and again those words to him, eh? Just repeat those words to him. Let the fatherhood of God just cover you like an umbrella, like a canopy, like a shadow, like a cloud, like a cloud. Just lower my mic uh, so that it's not totally off, but that it's low enough. It's not vain repetition. It's just calling out to him in words that you often use to attract his attention. Remember, guys, I said this before when we were doing the revival meeting. I don't need to draw God's presence. As a son, a father is attracted towards his son. His presence is here. I'll never be disconnected. So just however you call him, just call him. Just call him. That's all I'm asking that you do. Just call him. Father. Just lower my mic, guys. Actually, lower it a lot so that it's hardly a whisper. That can be heard on live stream, but um, it's not loud. Father. Father. Take away my orphanhood, O oh God. Take away my orphanhood. May there be nothing left of an orphan in my life, O oh God. Take away my orphanhood. Take away anything that's transactional, O oh God, that questions you, that suspects you. May there be no doubt. May there be no suspicions. 
Papa, Father, Father, take away anything that is legalistic and afraid, because perfect love casts out fear. There's no torment. There's no torment in your love for me. I want to be rid of all torment, all doubt, all suspicion, all fear. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to live a life of rewards and of um, judgment. I don't want to. I, I want to be rid of it. I want to be free of it. If I'm not free of it, I won't be able to show others what it is to have a father like you. Father, a revival requires that a God be presented to people without distortion. I say, Father, Father, everything that you are, let it be so in our lives. Oh God, let it be so in our lives. Abba, Father, Father, Father. We may have had difficult fathers in our lives, but copies do not take away the purity of the originals. So I say, Father, 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 Abba, Father, Abba, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, thank you for hearing my cry. Thank you for giving me an instinctive cry, an instinctive intimacy that was given to me the day I was born again. I got the same instinctive intimacy that Jesus had with you since the beginning of time and even before that I am given that. I will not be robbed of it. I will not be robbed of it. I will not settle for orphanhood. Abba, Father, Abba, Father, I need revival first. I need revival first. I need revival first. Abba Father. Abba Father. Abba Father. Abba Father. Abba Father. Thank you that you hear me. I know that I'm being heard right now. Abba Father. I'm being heard. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Oh God, I'm grateful for you. Abba Father. Abba Father. I'm grateful for you. Abba Father. Abba Father. Grateful for you. <sighs> Do whatever needs to be done in our lives so that all that must be dismantled and destroyed will be destroyed and all that needs to be put in will be put in so that we can be sons that reflect you without distortion. Many times Many times I've let you down But you're never far away Father, you want us to come back You're saying to the prodigal, come back 
You're saying to the older brother, come back. You're saying to those that haven't sensed that you love them because of circumstances that aren't working out, come back. You're saying to us who have come into a place of distance through either sin or disappointment, come back. Saying to the orphan, come back. Saying to those that don't know you, even through the song, know me, come back. Many times I've let you down, but you're never far away. All I had to do was turn my face to you and I knew where love and mercy lay and your forgiveness fills my being like a river deep and wide a stream of living water flows from deep inside no I may not understand you but one thing I know you are all my heart desires you will never let me go your love for me is a mystery and I don't understand how you can keep on loving me exactly as I I may not always understand you But one thing I know You are all my heart desires You will never let me go Your precious, always dear to me, and I am feeling sure that you will never, ever let me down. I know that I'm secure. One more time. Your precious always dear to me and I am feeling sure that you will never ever let me down I know that I'm secure I may not understand you
But one thing I know You are all my heart desires You will never let me go You are all my heart desires I will never let you go You are all my heart desires Father you'll never let me go